0: You'll find a copy of God's Word, either that you brought on your phone or in the pew in front of you, and turn to Mark chapter 4. You'll find that on page 1067 in the Pew Bible. Uh, We're going to spend a couple weeks in Mark, then we'll have... Uh, Mother's Day, and then, Lord willing, we'll be launched into Ephesians. I've been studying Mark on my own devotion, and the Lord's put a a couple texts on my heart that I wanted to share with you. Uh, The one we're looking at today is from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. It's the parable of the sower. Hear now the word of God. Again he began to preach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And He was teaching them many things in parables. And in His teaching He said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. and The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And He said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when He was alone, those around Him with the twelve asked Him about the parables. And he said to them, "...to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, "...do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them." But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your word, and we ask that by Your Spirit You would give us ears to hear this morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask it. Amen. One day when Christy and I were living in Birmingham when I was in seminary, we started to smell this terrible smell. And we looked everywhere. We couldn't find the source of it anywhere. And so finally we asked our neighbors. Our homicidal neighbors, actually. They threatened to kill our other neighbors. But that's a different story. Uh, And they knew exactly what it was. It was fish poop. See, they had used fish manure... In the, uh, in the flower beds, our flower beds, our flower beds, right outside our window to prepare the soil for roses. Apparently, that's what you need. There are all sorts of variables that go into growing a good garden when, where you get your seed, how old your seed is. We planted some watermelon seed this year that was too old and it didn't do any good. How much you water and, of course, how much you weed. Um, But if you don't have good soil, things just aren't going to grow. It's all up to the condition of the soil. As we reach the fourth chapter of Mark, we find Jesus being followed by a very large crowd. So large that He can't even enter into cities anymore unmolested. And so, in order to be heard, He and His disciples went to the shore of the Sea of Galilee... And Jesus got in a boat, shoved off, and he sat down in the boat a little ways off the, you know, from the shore while everybody listened so he could preach to them. They lived in an agrarian society. And it didn't really matter what you did. If you were a fisherman or a carpenter, you would have some sort of small garden at your house or in a field somewhere to supplement your income. Everyone knew the basics of gardening. So he's going to use these agrarian parables to proclaim to them elements of the good news of the gospel. In this parable is his first really significant parable. We can say it's the parable of parables. It explains the purpose of parables. And in this, he is going to compare the condition of our hearts and their ability to receive the good news of Jesus with four different kinds of soil. As we go through this text, an appropriate question might be, what kind of soil am I? Therefore here, which one describes my heart? Does my heart receive the good news and produce fruit? Or does it remain hard and unchanged and unaffected by the good news that is sown there? So Jesus begins to teach the crowds with a parable in which a sower goes out to sow. We might imagine that this is wheat. A lot of commentators think, think so. So the sower would have had a bag of wheat slung over his shoulder and he would walk along in his field and he would take a handful of wheat seed and fling it out. Fling it out. Walk and fling. Walk and fling. Sowing it out into the field. You know, anytime that you're sowing something or throwing something as light as wheat seed, something is go, some of it's going to end up in places that you didn't necessarily intend to. And here we see first that it falls along the hard path. The hard path of the garden which would have been packed dirt and and the seed would have been unable to penetrate the ground. As a result, soon birds came. They didn't just eat it, they devoured it. They devoured the seed, leaving nothing on that hard ground to sprout and to grow. Some of the seed fell on the second soil, which was rocky ground, which didn't have a lot of soil in it. And picture here is not ground with a lot of rocks like we might have. But instead, in, in Palestine in those days, it's, uh, it, it was um, a lot of bedrock with a little bit of soil on top. And the sun would shine and would heat up that soil so much, that thin soil, and the rock that's underneath it, that things sown in that little bit of dirt would be so warm they would germinate very quickly. And because they could not go down, they had to spring up. But having no root structure, they couldn't get any moisture. And so when the sun came up, it would scorch it and they would wither away. And that's what happens here with the second seed or the second um, ground, second soil. The third soil, though, is, is thorny ground. Some seed fell there. This meant the ground was already filled with roots competing for nutrients. Because we all know that weeds grow faster than anything else we want to grow, the thorns soon uh, competed and crowded out the plants, leaving it useless for the farmer. It would be much like throwing corn seed out in the middle of your backyard. It's just not going to grow. But then some of the seed also fell on good, fertile, tilled ground, and it produced grain growing and growing and yielding great fruitfulness. Indeed, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. A farmer in those days would expect between a 4- and 8-fold increase or harvest from a normal harvest. And so when we're talking about a 30-, 60-, or 100-fold harvest, this is a big harvest. Very fruitful. So Jesus ends His parable in kind of an enigmatic kind of way. In verse 9, we read those words, He who has ears, let him hear. What in the world does that mean? We get a hint when He draws away with His disciples, His twelve, and followers along with them, and they begin to ask Him about, hey, what's going on? We pick up in verse 11. And He said to them, to you has been given the secret. The word here is mystery. A mystery is something that is hidden until it is revealed. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is when Isaiah appears before the Lord, and uh, and God says, hey, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, hey, send me, send me, send me. And uh, so God said, all right, I'll send you. But just know that your ministry is not going to work. No one's going to hear anything you're saying. In fact, I'm going to use this to harden their hearts. There's some of that going on here. Jesus has told what's called a parable. A parable is what one commentator calls an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus is going to use parables throughout His ministry to teach usually one central point. Like here, the condition of the soil. soils uh, refers to the condition of our hearts. He's going to use it to both make things clear and to hide things. What in the world does that mean? To those whose hearts are prepared whose hearts have been tilled up by the Holy Spirit, who listen in faith, they will understand. But to those whose hearts are hard, who have no desire to submit to the Lordship of Christ, they're not going to get it. May the Lord give us ears to hear this morning. So Jesus answers His disciples and explains the meaning of this parable to them. The one who is sowing the seed is sowing the Word of God. Specifically, the good news of Jesus, that we can find salvation in Him. The person sowing, the sower himself, is either the Lord Jesus Christ, as it is certainly here, or those who sow the Word in His name. Each and every one of us, when we proclaim the good news of Jesus, this is what we're doing. We are are the sower, and so first, he explains the first soil, the hard path that the first seed fell upon. You know, soil that is hard does not grow plants. The seed can't get down into the soil. It can't germinate, because in order to germinate, I think ask Brad, he's the expert uh, it has to have soil, or excuse me uh, moisture and heat. And without those two things, the seed isn't going to germinate. So he compares this soil to a heart that is hardened against the gospel. Against the good news, it is a heart that doesn't really interact with the preached or proclaimed word at all. Have you ever met someone like that? I remember there was this particular lady in Montgomery. Uh, she was homeless, and we—I was an assistant pastor in downtown Montgomery, and so we had a—we interacted with a lot of folks who lived on the streets, and we'd often buy meals and get to talk to them about the Lord Jesus. But, you know, every time I would bring up the Lord, we'd be having this great conversation. And as soon as I brought up Jesus, she would start talking over me so that she could not hear what I was saying. And I'd stop talking about Jesus, I'd talk about the weather, and she'd stop. And as soon as I mentioned Jesus or started praying, she would just start talking, sometimes very loud. I think that's what a hard heart looks like. But it also can be a lot more subtle. There are two main enemies that, makes our heart, that make our hearts hard. First, internally, there are a lot of things that we can do to make our, our own heart hard against the Lord and against His Word. And the biggest thing is unrepentant sin. We all, we all sin. That's not what I'm talking about. But sin in which we endure, we continue doing, and have no intention of stopping. Our hearts become hard against the Word of God and have no desire to hear it and to respond. But there's also an external enemy, and that's, that's shown here, demonstrated by these birds. The birds represent Satan. Satan who is active anytime the Word is preached. He's active right now in this room. He is at work. Christ desires all to come to salvation no matter what you've done. Satan desires none to come to salvation. He works in the midst of the preaching of God's Word. J.C. Ryle, a great preacher, once wrote concerning Satan's activity during the sermon, Nowhere does Satan's labor so hard to stop the progress of that which is good and to prevent men and women being saved. From, come, from him come wandering thoughts, and roving imaginations, listless minds and dull memories, sleepy eyes and fidgety nerves, weary ears and distracted attention. It's hard to listen to a sermon, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. 30 minutes of sitting there, staying engaged, it's tough. It's spiritual warfare is what it is. What about the other soils? I want to skip to the fourth soil. We're going to take these out of order. This healthy soil that responded to the Word and produced a great harvest. Verse 20 But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the Word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This soil represents someone whose heart is ready to hear the Word of God and receives it and is converted. And it brings forth both salvation and fruit. Each year, um, Mr. Charles Fountain is very kind to come and till up a section in our backyard. And uh, the, the picture here is of ground that has been recently tilled up, that is ready. There's been rain. It's been tilled up. It's been fertilized. It is ready to receive the Word. Note this person, there's a progression here. He hears, he accepts, and he bears fruit. You know, the seed in each one of these things is the same. It's the same seed. It's a different soil. The Lord uses the Word to bring us to salvation. James chapter 1 verse 18 says of God's own will he brought us forth how by the word of truth Romans 10:17 so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ This soil is one that is not hardened from running away from the Lord it is a heart that accepts the truthfulness that each one needs saving including you including me not just our neighbors man we got terrible neighbors right they need Jesus. I was reading the law of God and I thought about you. You know. <laughs> We need salvation. We need conviction. We need forgiveness. They do. They might. They might. Let's get our own houses in order first, right? So this person accepts salvation from Jesus Christ from fertile soil. But then there's evidence. This is key. So, there's another plot that's been tilled up right next to our garden, and that's Lizzie and Thomas's plot. I might have told y'all about this a couple weeks ago, I can't remember. So, we have rows. We plant in order, just like we've been told. I'm reading the back of the packets, you know, how many inches I got my ruler right, you know. Not quite that bad. But Lizzie and Thomas, they say, Dad, can I have some of that blue seed? And they scatter it out there. Sometimes it gets covered up, sometimes it doesn't. Oh, can I have some of that uh, that pink stuff, that corn? Yeah, let me get some of that and I throw it out there. So they've got probably half a dozen types of plants planted in a four by eight plot. Now, here's the thing you might be able to tell from the leaves what these things are. I can't. How are you going to know what kind of plant it is? Well, if the plant starts producing tomatoes, guess what? It's a tomato plant. If it starts bearing squash, well, guess what? It's not okra. And so in the Christian life, when our hearts are ready to receive the Word of God, we are saved and then there's fruit in our lives. There's a change. There's a difference. It's not perfect until we go to heaven, but there is a change. The first to bloom is that of faith and repentance, but then follows good works, love for neighbor and God, victory over sin, a love for the people of God, a desire to know Christ, and a lifelong mourning over sin, a zeal for others to know Jesus, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. You know, the fruit of the Spirit. From a changed heart comes a changed outlook on life and a desire to follow the Lord, to confess our sins to others in Christ when we fail To believe the gospel anew. To serve our neighbor and lay down our lives for others. That comes because of the fertile soil. It comes because it is ready to receive the Lord's word. Now you can take a tomato and staple it to a squash plant. You can fake it. But I didn't change the plant. You can take yellow spray paint and spray paint the okra. And it doesn't make it corn. True change must come from the inside, from hearts transformed by the Word of God. All right, so I've taken these out of order because the middle two are the most dangerous. We might call these soils quicksand. Being saved is, uh, is, is kind of like pregnancy. Saved or not. Tomato plant or squash plant. Okra or corn. It's one or the other. It's an all or nothing game we either saved or not. And we would be tempted to say these two soils in the middle, they're saved. But my friends, that's the great delusion here. And that's one of Jesus' main points. There appears at first to be real change, but it's not lasting. And there's no fruit. We first see this in the rocky soil with a superficial response. This is someone who has heard... is exposed to the good news of Jesus and it might have some sort of emotional response but there's no long-lasting change. This is seen when tribulation and persecution arise. The NIV has it it better here. It says trouble and persecution. This word trouble, it comes from the Greek word which means to squeeze. Do you know how you tell what's in a um, toothpaste bottle? Now it might say toothpaste on the outside but how do you really know What's in that bottle? You have to give it a squeeze. Well, God sometimes sends squeezing things in our lives to show us what's really there, to show what's really in our heart. And when this fruit or this, uh, this plant coming out of the soil is squeezed, it is shown not to be the real thing at all. And it withers away. What does this look like? Is this person a Christian? We must not say yes. This person cannot be truly saved. Why? Because salvation is forever. We can't lose it. And those who have been changed will persevere until the end. Now we have seasons of wandering, don't we? We have seasons of trials in which we don't respond as well as we should. I know I do. But Jesus tells us. Through the Holy Spirit in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw a perfect example of this on Palm Sunday. Do you remember on Palm Sunday when, when Jesus came in on the donkey and the crowds accepted Him as king? But it wasn't a true heart acceptance of Him as king because on Friday they were singing out those great cries, Crucify Him, we have no king but Caesar. They were squeezed that week by having their expectations shattered of a Messiah who would drive out the Romans. And when the squeezing moment of public opinion came on Friday, they joined in and said, crucify Him. They never truly accepted Jesus as their King. It looked like it on Sunday, but it wasn't true. The picture here is of someone who has flirted with Jesus. But there's no real and vital relationship with Christ. When Christ comes to save your soul, changes your heart, He makes you new, He unites you to Him. The Father adopts you as His Son and gives you the promise of the riches of your inheritance in heaven. And it must become number one in our lives. The thorny soil demonstrates a preoccupied heart. That's this third one. That's this third soil, the, the thorny soil. Which first, bear you know, it starts to grow and then is choked out. It is choked out by other concerns and other cares. Jesus is seen as one of many plants instead of the main tree. The main thing in our lives. There are three things that... that that pull the attention away from Christ, and the first is uh, cares or worries. Uh, the NIV has it better here: worries. There are a lot of things we worry about in this world, aren't there? I struggle with anxiety. I know most of you do too. Um, but at some point, we can come so preoccupied on the on the cares of this world that we forget Jesus. Or the deceitfulness of riches. In the, I think we can all understand that one, right? I know I've told you the story, but in seminary, I knew that in order to have a good life, in order to be truly fulfilled, I needed a stainless steel four-burner gas grill. <laughs> and, uh, and I had the... I mean, I was consumed by this desire. I would go to bed at night thinking, oh man, I'm just out there flipping burgers, drinking a drink, while Chrissy's getting home, blue skies, I'm happy, life's good. It, but it lied to me. I got the grill, and it rusted out. I just threw away my third stainless steel grill of my marriage. The deceitfulness of riches—it's a—it's a hard thing, isn't it? There are other desires here. You know, probably refers to sinful lust, but can also, I think, refer to anything that consumes us outside of Christ. Is that third soil—the thorny soil? A Christian? No, we must say not, because there's no fruit. There's no evidence that of a vital connection with Jesus. So one through three, hard teaching here. One through three, not converted. Fourth soil, the good soil, is received and believed, and is growing in Christ. So the question this morning, as we conclude with some application, the first we we might say, it's it's a hard question to ask, which soil am I? If you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. Please come back, and I would love an opportunity to answer or seek to answer any questions you might have about the Bible or what it means to be a Christian. Ask yourself, which of these four soils best describes you? Because here's the thing, that if you cry out to the Lord, He'll till up your heart. And you'll accept Jesus as your Savior. He'll do that for you. But for believers, I would say this. There is a way for our hearts when we're saved, in fourth soil, we're in Christ, in which we can kind of act like that third soil, preoccupied with life, consumed by worries, the deceitfulness of riches. How quickly do other things crowd our love for Jesus? Return me, Lord, to that good toy. Tilled soil that is weed-free. Finally, for evangelism. There are a couple of applications here for evangelism. The first is that note that the sower in our text sows everywhere, including the hard path. He doesn't go back and pick those things up and put them somewhere else because it doesn't need it. We are to do the same. Everyone needs to hear about the good news of Jesus, bar none. Let us not be stingy where we talk about the Lord. And secondly, we can have boldness because our responsibility is to sow, but Jesus is responsible for the condition of someone's heart. What a great way to pray for someone. The Lord would soften their hearts, till up their hearts, their soul, their hearts, that they might respond in faith to Christ. As we think about this agrarian theme, there will be a day of harvest, a day of harvest. And on that day, those who have trusted in Christ, whose vital connection with Jesus has been shown forth through a fruitful life, who by God's grace have persevered, they'll be collected by the angels, the harvest of souls, and will live with God forever. May that day come soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Lord Jesus, we pray that You would continue to give us ears to hear and eyes to see and feet that walk and do. For your name, in the name of Jesus, amen.